This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I'm going to take you back to 1948 in just a couple of moments. If you were a listener of radio back then, you would have heard the Louisiana Hayride from Shreveport make its debut. Hallmark Playhouse debuted on CBS in the June of that year. Life with Luigi premiered on CBS, and The Brighter Day debuted on NBC. Now, the show we first hear tonight had its birth in jail. Let me explain that. Boston Blackie is a fictional character created by author Jack Boyle. Now, he grew up in Chicago. And while working as a newspaper reporter in San Francisco, he became an opium addict and was drawn into crime and, in fact, was jailed for writing bad checks. Later convicted of robbery, Boyle was serving a term at San Quentin when he created the character of Boston Blackie. Blackie, a jewel thief and safecracker in Boyle's stories, became a detective in adaptations for films, radio, and TV, an enemy to those who make him an enemy, a friend to those who have no friend. You know, when you stop and think about it, that had to be some accomplishment. He had to get writing materials from the prison staff, and I'm sure not all the inmates would have approved of Boyle using them as character studies in his scripts. So here you have this jailbird sending off his scripts to publishing houses in hopes of not getting yet another rejection letter. Gee, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the American magazine got word to him they were going to publish four of his stories. This is back in 1914. He was writing under the pen name number 6066. Actor Chester Morse was the best-known Blackie, playing the character in Boston Blackie is the role for which he is best remembered. So, let's hear the episode of Boston Blackie entitled Millicent Bromley is missing. We've got to find that woman, you understand? We've got to find that girl, you hear? Hey, Inspector Faraday, we can't hear you when you pound your desk like that. You'll pound a beat if you don't find the Bromley girl, Carlson. And the same goes for the rest of you, too. Look, Inspector, this is the homicide department. How come the pressure's on us to find her? Because the pressure's on the whole force. And what's more, this kind of thing leads to murder sometimes. More than sometimes. And we want to get to work before there's a murder. Okay. No, it isn't Okay. What have we done so far? Inspector, we've got every radio car in the city in operation. We've called in all off-duty men, canceled all... I know what we've done, Carlson. And I know what we haven't done, too. We haven't found Millicent Bromley. She's just a 22-year-old, see? A girl who's done nobody any harm, see? And she's in the hands of thugs, see? Now, we're supposed to be great, big, strong he-man. 
We're supposed to be policemen. We're supposed to protect the people of this city from accidents and crimes. Yet we can't even help a 22-year-old girl. No. Faraday speaking. Inspector Faraday, this is Shorty. You know, Shorty, Boston Blackie's place. Yeah, I know who you are, Shorty. So don't bother me, I'm busy. Yeah, I know that, Inspector Faraday. That's why I'm calling. I can make you unbusy. Oh, you can, can you? Yep. Well, isn't that nice? Now, look, Shorty, I've got... No... But you got to listen to me, Inspector Faraday. Blackie's out of town. Oh, he... Blackie's out of town, is he? That's wonderful. Now, why don't you get out of town, too? Then I'll solve this case the way it ought to be solved. Inspector Faraday, I, I just talked to Blackie's girlfriend, Mary Wesley, and she talked to Blackie. He's in California. You talked to Miss Wesley, and Miss Wesley talked to Blackie. So what? What do I care? I'm busy looking for a missing girl. Now, goodbye. Oh, gee, Inspector Faraday, don't hang up. I know you're looking for a girl. It's Millicent Bromley, isn't it? Yeah, it's Millicent Bromley. And I suppose you know right where she is. I sure do, Inspector Faraday. She's right here in my room. And now on to tonight's adventure of Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friend. That's Shorty's door, Carlson, at the end of the hall. You think he was on the level about having the Bromley girl, Inspector Faraday? I don't know. If he does, this case is awful easy. I haven't had an easy case in ten years. We'll know in a minute. Open up, Shorty. It's Faraday. Open up! Come on in, Inspector Faraday. Hey, what's the matter with you, Shorty? You're bleeding. Grab him, Carlson, before he falls down. I got him, Inspector. Thanks. You better sit down, bud. Yeah, sure. All right. There you go. You know, the guys got here too late. Hey, what happened to you, Shorty? Where's the Bromley girl? I don't know, Inspector Faraday. Uh-oh, Faraday. You said this might be one of Blackie's gags? Yeah. Oh, no, no, Inspector. This ain't no gag. She was here, but somebody slugged me from behind, and when I came to, she was gone. Oh, yeah? So help me. That, that's the truth. Take this down, will you, Carlson? You're bad, Inspector. Okay. Now, Shorty, Blackie put you up to this, didn't he? No. It's his idea of a gag. Or maybe he's mixed up in this. Honest, Inspector, all Blackie had to do with this was to tell me to call you up and say the girl was here. Ah, uh, but the girl wasn't here, was she? But she was, Inspector Faraday. Honest, she was. She was right there on that couch there when I was talking to you on the phone. All right, she was right there on the couch. How'd she happen to get here? You grabbed her, didn't you? No, honest, Inspector Faraday. She was here when I got here. And the professor was here, too. He said she was his niece. The professor? Who's he? He's a guy I know. Nice guy, too. He's used my room before, but he's never brought anybody with him before. Especially anybody he swiped. How did you know the Bromley girl wasn't the professor's niece if the professor said she was his niece? Well, the professor left and told me to let the girl sleep. I turned on the radio in the other room and I heard what the Bromley girl was wearing. Uh Now, this girl was wearing the same thing. Sure, sure. I went over to wake her up and ask her if she was the Bromley girl and then I saw she was doped. And then, suddenly, something hit me on the head. You're lying, Shorty. If I'm lying, you think I hit myself on the head? I wouldn't doubt it. Ah! I think this whole thing is phony. Now, come on, who's this professor? Is that Blackie? Or is he something else Blackie dreamed up? No, no, honest, Inspector Faraday. The the professor's a real guy. He's real, huh? Yeah. All right, where does he live? I don't know. Oh, you don't, huh? Well, isn't that convenient? Shorty, you're number one on my suspicion parade. And maybe the charge will be murder. Which is another way of saying, you're under arrest. (laughs) 
You recovered the Bromley girl from Shorty's room without Shorty seeing you, didn't you, Tommy? Oh, sure, Professor. He didn't even know what hit him. And the Bromley dame's still sleeping in the next room. Splendid. Now, I want you and Bill to listen to me very closely. I think I know what we're going to do next, Professor. I hope you do, Tommy. But Bill here wasn't present for the initial proceedings. I think we had best... Uh, one thing I don't savvy yet, Prof, is why we stashed the dame at Shorty's in the first place and then had a conch Shorty to get her back. Well, Bill, I didn't want to bring her directly here to my place until I was certain the police had no description of me. So it was expedient for the girl and I to remain in someone else's abode until I could ascertain whether or not it was safe to lodge her here. Oh, I get it. Nobody spotted you snatching a dame, so after a couple of hours at Shorty's, it was okay for us to get her out of Shorty's, huh? Your powers of deduction are brilliant, Bill. Uh, but now for your instructions. I managed the girl this far. As Tommy knows, she'll be in your care from now on. Yes, yeah, sure, Prof. We keep her here, Prof? No, Bill. You will take her out to our farm and wait there for the delivery of the ransom money. Uh, when you have the money... Bring it here to me. Hey, look, Prof, it's a long way out to the farm. What if the Bromley dame wakes up on the way out and starts yelling? I don't think you'll have any trouble with her, Tommy. Asleep or awake. Well, if we do... Oh, no, you won't, Tommy. We'll have none of that. Oh, but, Prof, if she starts to queer our plan... The girl is not to be mistreated in any way, do you understand? Well, I'll see that everything goes all right, Professor. I'm certain you will, Tommy. And what about... After we get the dough, what do we do with the dame then? Release her, by all means. And show her the greatest courtesy while she's in your care. Okay. Now, um, how do we get the money? My dog will bring it to the shack. Huh? The dog pro... How's the dog going to bring us some money? Where's the dog going to get it? The ransom note I have just prepared states that they will find my dog leashed to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. Yeah? They are to strap the packages of money, $50,000, in 20 and $50 bills, all old money, to the dog's back, and untie him from the tree, mm. and then say, now, go home. The dog will do the rest. Yeah, but Professor, won't somebody follow the dog? Why do you think I'm going to such fantastic measures to procure the ransom money, Tommy? Perhaps someone will try to follow my dog, but it'll be impossible. I have trained him for months to run a devious course at top speed and to duck through thickets and backtrack in the densest underbrush. And parts of the terrain over which he will travel with the ransom money will be impassable to man. No, Tommy, no one will follow my dog, but they're perfectly welcome to try. <laughs> Inspector Faraday, I know you're doing everything possible to find my daughter, but can't you do the impossible and get her back? Mr. Bromley will do anything to find that daughter of yours. But you can help us if you give us the details of the ransom but note. But I haven't received a note. Mr. Bromley, I know exactly how you feel about this. You think you're protecting your daughter by not cooperating with the police because the note says not to contact but the police. But, Inspector Faraday, you must believe me, I have not received a note. You haven't, huh? No. But when I do, you can be sure I'll contact you, no matter what the note says. Will you promise me that? Even if the note warns you not to come to us? I'm no fool, Inspector. I know you can handle these fellows far better than I. Well, I'm glad you realize that. If more people realize that, there'd be far less crime. You'll get complete cooperation from me, don't worry. But isn't there anything you can do before I get the note? We've done all we could on the leads we've had. Well, this, this, this shorty person, 
What does he know about it? I don't know. He tells a story that makes some sense, but not enough to suit me. I still think he's mixed up in this some way. Or Boston Blackie is. You're holding, Shorty. No, I had to let him go. Not enough on him. Well, this story he tells about a, a, a professor. Perhaps that's your lead. It is a lead, and we're working on it. But so far, we haven't been able to find any professor. But certainly this Shorty must know where he lives if he knows him well Mr. enough. Mr. Bromley, you don't know underworld people. If Shorty's telling the truth about a professor, he may also be telling the truth when he says he doesn't know where he lives. Some of the best-known people in the underworld have hideouts that no one knows about. Not even members of their own gang. Oh, I, I see. Uh, don't worry, Mr. Bramley. We'll find... Come in. Inspector Faraday. Yeah, Carlson, what do you want? I've got something you want, Inspector. We got a tip on where a guy they call the professor may be hiding out. Oh, thank heaven. You have, huh? Good, where? In a brown house on Front Street between Canal and the Bay Bridge Ramp. Front Street, huh? Yep. That's near where Shorty lives. Maybe he was telling the truth. Inspector, now maybe we'll find my daughter. I hope so, Mr. Bromley. Maybe you'd like to come along with us. I'm going down to Front Street in person to teach that professor a lesson. Here's the professor's house, Mr. Bromley. Are you sure? Yes. The tip said it was a brown house on Front Street, didn't it, Counselor? Yes, sir. And between Canal Street and the Bay Bridge ramp. This is the only brown house on the block. Want me to go in first, Inspector? No, I'll go first. You and Mr. Bromley follow. We have to find Millicent here, Inspector. This is our only lead to her. Well, there's still Shorty. We can pick him up any time we want to. Or on what grounds, Inspector? We never saw him with her. We can't charge him with any... I know that, but we... Well, let's go in and have a chat with this professor. There... There won't be shooting, will there? If there is, Mr. Brownlee, I'll start it. My gun's all set. Hey, why not try the door, Inspector? It might be open. All right. But watch it. You'd better step back a few feet, Mr. Brownlee. That's all right, Inspector. I'm not afraid. Hmm. Door's open. Let's go in. But slowly, slowly. Hmm. It looked to me as if this house has been lived in lately. Some people don't care how they live, Carlson. Inspector, there's a light shining from under that door. It's there. Yeah, I just saw it, Mr. Bromley. Come on, let's have a look. Ready with your gun, Carlson. Ready. But be careful. He may be holding my daughter as a shield. Please, be careful. We'll watch out, Mr. Bromley. Okay. I'm going to try the door. I'm all set. Fling her open if she isn't locked. And there's our professor. Okay, prop. Put the... Matter, Inspector Faraday. Nothing much, Mr. Bromley. But there's a lot the matter with the professor. He's dead. And now back to our story. Twenty-two-year-old Millicent Bromley is missing but is later found by Shorty, a friend of Boston Blackie. Shorty learns that the girl is stolen and gets in touch with Boston Blackie, who's out of town. Blackie tells Shorty to contact Faraday of the police. Shorty calls Inspector Faraday, but before the inspector gets to Shorty's room, Shorty is knocked out and the girl stolen from him. Shorty claims a man named the Professor brought the girl to his room, but when the police find the Professor, he's dead. As we return to our story, Shorty has been released by the police. And in the Bromley home, the phone rings. Hello. You 
Bromley? Yes. You get our little note about the ransom? Yes, I just this minute received it. Are you the man who has my daughter? I'll ask the questions. But I'll answer that one with a yeah. I got your note. I'll pay your money. Only give me back my daughter. You'll get her back, Bromley. But did you read that little note real good? Yes, yes, I read it. But it said, don't tell the police what's in it. Did you read that? Yes, I did. Well, remember that, pal. Or forget about your daughter. Oh, I'll be... Hello. Hello. Oh, he hung up. Coming, coming. Yes? I'd like to talk to Mr. Harold Bromley, if it's okay. I'm Harold Bromley. Oh, hiya. I'm Shorty. I guess you've heard of me. I certainly have. I. You got a minute so I could talk to you? Definitely. Come in, come in. Thanks. The uh, police have released you, I trust. Yeah, but they'll nab me again if we don't find your kid. I'm still in a jam. Look, I... I just been talking to my friend Boston Blackie long distance, see, and he asked me to come and see you. Your friend Blackie is going to help me find my daughter. He's trying to now, Mr. Bromley. But how can he help me when he's out of town? Oh, he'll be here tomorrow. But he figured he might help even before he got here. If you tell him what's in that note. Well, I intend to tell Inspector Faraday of the police, in spite of the fact that I just had a phone call warning me not to... But do you think it's wise for me to tell Blackie, too? Well, if you're smart enough to spill it to the cops, you sure can't go wrong spilling it to Blackie. You know, Blackie comes up with some shortcut ideas every now and then. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Sure. All right. Here's what the note says. The money, $50,000 in old bills in 20s and 50s, is to be taken by car to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles West of Havensville. Uh-huh, I got it. There'll be a dog near the tree. A dog? What cooks? The money is to be strapped to the dog's back. I am to untie the dog and say, now go home. And that will be that. Why, that's the nuttiest thing I ever heard. I'm afraid it's rather clever, though, Shorty. They caution me not to try to leash the dog. He'll balk. He won't move. And not to try to follow it. It'll be impossible. Well, huh? Well, maybe so. Look, uh... When do you have to kick in with the ransom money? At midnight, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, huh? Okay, now I'll tell you what. Just so those guys can't say you double-crossed them, I'll go to the cops. That note sure didn't say nothing about me. Sunset Parkway. Good evening. Hello, Harry. This is Shorty. Oh, yeah, Shorty. Any more news from Blackie? Well, there's a telegram here for you. Yeah, that's what I meant. I guess it's from Blackie telling me what plane he's coming in on. Well, it got here just three minutes ago. Read it to me, will you? Okay, just a minute. Yeah, good. Uh, here you are, Shorty. Yeah, okay. Uh, read it slow. Okay, it's from Blackie, all right. What plane's he coming in on? Well, here's what his wire says. Yeah. Weather impossible. All planes grounded. Phone me here about note as soon as you know something. Signed, Blackie. Okay, Harry, I'll do that. Blackie says he'll tell me what to do next, huh? Gee, I, I sure hope so. Yeah, Blackie, I got it. Oh, gee, that's a swell idea, Blackie. But the note says not to tell the cops what's in it. Well, okay, if you think it's okay. 
Yeah, I'll go see Inspector Faraday right away. Uh-huh. 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 Look, Shorty, you want to spend the rest of your life in this office of mine? Maybe. Now, look, Inspector. I came here to tell you what was in the ransom note Mr. Bromley got. He got the note? You know what's in it? Sure. How do you know? Did you write it? No, I didn't. Mr. Bromley told me what was in it. He told you? Uh Uh-huh. Why didn't you say so in the first place? Because you've been screaming your head off ever since I walked in that door. Well, I'll scream some more if you wait any longer to tell me what's in that note. Okay. There it is. Now, at midnight tonight, we take $50,000 in old bills, 20s and 50s, to a tree on the Oxford Road, six miles west of Havensville. I know, the old gag. Leave it in a hole in the tree, huh? Oh, no. There'll be a dog there. Yeah, I thought... A dog? Yeah, a dog, tied to the tree. We strap the money on the dog's back, untie the dog, and he scrams with the dough. That's fine. Just how are we going to follow a dog? Those things can run, and they probably got this one trained to break records. Yeah, I guess maybe they have, Inspector Faraday. But Blackie's come up with an idea how we can trail the dog without following him. He has. Uh Uh-huh. How are we going to do it? Tie rockets to our pants? You better hurry, Mr. Bromley. It's almost midnight. We yes, want to release Inspector. the dog here right on the dot of 12. It's almost done, Inspector Faraday. My hands are shaking so I can hardly... There. Seems secure enough. Good. Now, here's where we start fooling these guys. How, Inspector? We'll never be able to follow this dog by trying to run after it. No. But we can do something so we can watch where he goes. Now, look around you, Mr. Bromley. What do you see? Well... Nothing but darkness. Yeah, pitch darkness. But in that darkness are hills. Pretty high hills, too. I have men posted on the top of nearly every hill in the vicinity. Will they be able to see the dog? No, they won't be able to see the dog, even using binoculars. That is, not as the dog is now. Shorty, do you have that can of luminous paint? Yeah, sure. It's right here, Inspector. I'm putting on the dog's tail now. Oh, now I see what you're going to do. Put some on the dog's sides, too, Shorty. A nice wide band of it, huh? Yeah, I'm doing that right now. Say, this paint won't hurt him, will it? No, I checked into that. The stuff's non-poisonous. Oh, we'll get it off after it's served its purpose. What happens now? Do your men watch the dog through binoculars and then go to wherever the dog stops? No. They're all equipped with field radios, Mr. Bromley, and they'll radio the dog's progress and eventual destination right here to us. Let the dog go, Shorty. Okay, boy. Now go home. He's loose. Go on, scram, puppy. Have a good run, boy. Wow, look at him go. And look how clearly you can see the luminous paint on his tail and sides. Yeah. All right, Mr. Bromley. Let's go back to my car, see what's on the radio. This is Sergeant Lawrence in north position. The dog just crossed Highway 6 going due west. I followed him straight west until he disappeared into a pass. This is Carlson, west position. The dog just passed below us, heading up the bank of the Owl River, seven miles from the Staten Bridge. He's now heading into open country in the direction of Plainfield. This is Williams on a hill near Plainfield. The dog just arrived at the farmhouse 18 miles north of Plainfield. As I'm watching now, the door has been opened by someone on the inside. The dog has entered the house. All right, Inspector Faraday, it's all yours. 40,920, 40,920. You know, Tommy, I still don't see why we knocked off the professor. 40,920. 
Well, Bill, we got rid of the professor because $50,000 splits bigger two ways than four. Four ways? Yeah. Yeah, I have a surprise for you, Bill. Mm. You, the professor, and I make three, but the Bromley girl makes four. Huh? I don't get it. This was a deal cooked up by the Bromley dame herself to get money from her tightwad father. Are you leveling? The prof didn't snatch that dame? No. Neither did we when we took her out of Shorty's room. Now, that was all a part of the Bromley girl's deal with the professor. The professor said he'd go in with her if he could drug her and keep her in somebody else's joint while the heat was good and hot. Well, any dame that'd do that to her own father just to get money from him, what... Hey, hey what the... what's happened to the lights? Oh, what do you think happened to them? They went out. We didn't touch a thing. We didn't... Hey, touch... I don't like this. Let's get out of here. Okay, but what about the Bromley dame? Never mind her. Come on. We'll run across the yard to the barn. All right, you guys. Stay where you are. Yeah, a lot of cops. Don't move either of you. Grab them, boys. Any of have time to reach their guns, Inspector. That's a good thing, Carlson. Yeah, we know when to be good, boys. Yeah? Where's the Bromley girl? Still in the house. Okay, Carlson. Send one of the men in after him. Okay. Go. Go on in after him. Ah, now we have the men we want, the ransom money, and the Bromley woman. Maybe this was all Blackie's idea, but I did it just as well as if Blackie himself were here. <laughs> Carlson, this is Inspector Faraday. Oh, yes, Inspector. Where are you? The commissioner wants to congratulate you. I'm home in bed. I just had an idea. You know where Blackie is? Uh, still grounded on the coast, I hear, but there's... Well, I want uh... to send him a wire. Take this down. Uh, yes, sir, but uh, Here it is. Uh... Here it is. Recovered Millicent Bromley, who was just pretending to be kidnapped to extort money from her own father. But, uh... Men, I thought, abductors killed Professor, as you said they did, but, uh... I had a touch of my own in capture to protect Bromley Girl. But, Cut uh, power lines to farmhouse, knowing they would fear trap when house went dark. But they ran out of house, and I nabbed them without endangering Girl. Uh, who's brilliant now? Well, uh, sign it, Faraday, huh? Uh, just a minute, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you there's a wire here for you. Got here about six hours ago, according to Death Sergeant. Six hours ago, huh? Yeah. And that was before we got to the farmhouse. Probably from Blackie with some crazy no-good idea. Uh, read it to me anyway. Uh, yes, sir, just a minute. Uh, uh, here it is, here. Uh, from Blackie, all right. What's he say? Uh, he says, uh, judge from use of dog, kidnappers are holed up in farmhouse or country home. To avoid danger to Millicent Bromley in event of shooting, suggest you cut power lines. Throwing house in darkness will possibly... Force them outside where you can nab them without risking life of girls. Don't bother reading the rest of it, Carlson. And don't bother sending my wire to Blackie. And wipe that smile off your face, Carlson. It isn't that funny.
Stay tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Just before we listen to Burns and Allen, a few quotes from George Burns. Happiness, he once said, is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. You can't help getting older, but you don't have to get old. There's none I like. And here's one I'll wind up with. Acting is all about honesty. If you can fake that, you got it made. <laughs> Not a 1952 to hear about Gracie, who is organizing the wives. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George. Well, sure. Pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last <laughs> drop. That drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, our happy postman, Mel Blanc, and Robert Bentz. For your Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for your everyday coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. Tonight, Gracie and her friend Blanche Morton are returning from the neighborhood movie theater where they saw a picture starring their current dream man, Gregory Peck. Oh, what a marvelous experience, Blanche. Those thrilling love scenes. Yeah, it was a great picture. Luella Parsons gave it four stars and Jimmy Fiddler gave it four bells. Mm, my rating is a little different. I gave Gregory Peck 15 quivers. <laughs> Believe me, he was worth every one of them. Mm, what a man. When he makes love, my heart bobs up and down in my throat, keeping time with that wonderful Adam's apple of his. <laughs> Too bad our husbands didn't come along. They might have learned something. Oh, what a letdown going home to them after Gregory Peck. You said it. it it's like riding on the Super Chief and then switching to the Glendale bus. <laughs> oh, what happens to husbands anyhow? At first, Harry was crazy about going to parties and dances. We'd finish dinner and I'd get into an evening gown. And now? We finish dinner and he gets into a nightshirt. <laughs> At first, when George and I went to parties, he was terribly jealous. If another man even looked at me, he wanted to kill him. And now? If another man grabs me and kisses me, George says, boy, is he loaded. <laughs> well, speaking of kisses, Harry comes down to breakfast, gives me a fast one on the cheek, and then we both start complaining. Both of you? Yeah. Him because the toast is scorched, and me because I'm not. <laughs> Same kind of morning kiss. Believe me, that peck George gives me is no Gregory. Time sure makes a difference, all right. The first few months of married life, they're all pepped up. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it, they are all pooped out. <laughs> well, here's my house, Blanche. I better go in and see if Hot Lips has fallen asleep over his collection of Lombardo records. Good night, Gracie. Good night, Blanche. Well, now for the big romantic homecoming. Will he say, darling, you're back at last? Will he tell me how much he's missed me? <laughs> Not him. He won't even know I've been out. Hello, George. Darling, you're back at last. Yeah, huh? <laughs> Gee, how I've missed you. How I've needed you. Oh, 
George. I've longed for the touch of your hand. You have? Yeah, scratch my back, will you? <laughs> There's one spot there I can't get. Oh, George. Wouldn't you like me to put my arms around you? Yeah, then you can scratch with both hands. I don't want to scratch your back. Mm, I wish Gregory Peck was here. I'd just as soon have you scratch it. Oh, all right, I'll scratch your back. There. Uh, thanks. Now put your arms around me. Your back itches too, huh? Oh, George, you need a few lessons on how to treat a wife. Wives want romance. Wives want... Come in. Good evening, all. Uh, hello, all. <laughs> I, I saw your light on and I made bold to drop in. Well, I'm glad you did, Meredith. You made bold to drop in. You're, you're yes. just in time to learn how to treat your wife after you're married. You do intend to take a wife, don't you? Oh, yes, indeed. I'm very fond of little ones. Oh, how sweet. Of course, I'll take a big one if she'll have me. <laughs> don't waste your time advising Meredith, Gracie. I doubt if you'll ever get married. Not true, George. It was just a year ago this time that I almost married a lady trap drummer, Boom Boom Latour. <laughs> boom Boom Latour, a lady trap drummer. She was magnificent. If you closed your eyes, you couldn't tell her from Jean Krupa. But when you opened them, there was a delightful difference. And you, <laughs> you, you almost married a Meredith? Yes, Gracie, our romance blossomed quickly. At night after work, I'd take her home. She'd turn the lights down low, snuggle next to me on the sofa and play uh, Love Sends a Little Gift to Roses on the drums. <laughs> what a picture. <laughs> well, naturally, I could not long resist such romantic persuasion, and one night, just as she reached the 14th measure of the second chorus, I asked Boom Boom to be my bride. And she said yes? Without missing a beat. <laughs> In a perfect frenzy of ecstasy, I seized my flute and began to accompany her. We raced madly through Semper Fidelis under the double eagle and we were just going into the stars and stripes forever when a terrible doubt began to creep into my mind. A doubt. If I was going to be this lady's husband, there was something I had a right to know. So I asked her and her answer made my blood run cold. What was it, Meredith? Boom Boom was not a union musician. <laughs> What? <laughs> well, I knelt quickly and facing Chicago asked Petrillo to forgive me. <laughs> then I fled and I have not seen the lady since. Well, that just shows you the power of organizing. What a shame we neglected housewives aren't organized like you musicians. Then we could force our husbands to be more romantic and more... And Meredith! What? That's it! We'll get together. We'll form the Housewives Association. But I'm not a housewife. No, not you. You're not either. <laughs> Forget it. Oh, no. This is the idea of the century. When we housewives organize, you husbands will have to stop pushing us around. Gracie. You'll find out what fighters we women are. Just like Jack Dempsey found out when a woman whipped him. A woman whipped Jack Dempsey? Sure, Jean Tunney. <laughs> oh, yes. Pretty girl, Jean Tunney, yeah? Yeah. She was beautiful in her new picture, The Razor's Edge. 
Uh, Jean Tunney, yes, sort of a dark girl. Uh, Gracie, there'll be no housewives associated. Oh, yes, there will, and I'll be the boss. And then I just dare some unromantic husband to snore or stick his cold feet in his wife's back. I suppose, I suppose you'll call a strike. Oh, you bet. I'll pull every wife out of bed between here and Boston. I see trouble. Jerome Kern wrote it for Showboat way back in 1929. The people heard it, and it's belonged to the people ever since. Couldn't have been any other way, Bill. Great folk music echoes the hopes, the joys, the sorrows of a people. When a song like Old Man River comes along, why, the people just naturally make it their own. And the people, well, they're hardly ever wrong. Yes, Old Man River may have been born on Broadway but it's long since joined the company of truly great American spirituals as a moving, expressive part of the American scene. And you know, in its own way, Maxwell House coffee is a very real part of the American scene, too. We Americans love coffee, have made it our national drink. And more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee at any price. North, east, south, and west, it's Maxwell House wherever you go. Flavor writes this popularity story, the rich, vigorous Maxwell House flavor that results from the skillful blending of these carefully selected Latin American coffees. Manizales for mellowness. Medellins for richness. Other choice coffees for vigor. And Bucaramangas for full body. The sum of which is great coffee at its flavor peak. So why not enjoy the very best in coffee drinking pleasure? You can for just a fraction of a penny more per cup than you'd pay for the cheapest coffees. Just say, Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. Good morning, Gracie. How about some breakfast? Mm, Not right now, George. I'm busy drawing up the contract all you husbands will have to sign with the Housewives Association. I told you last night to forget that crazy idea. We husbands are not going to sign. Oh, then we wives will go on strike. And I'd like to see the government take that over. (laughs) Uh, If I don't sign the contract, you'll strike, huh? I'll picket you from morning till night. Believe me, you'll be worn out. I'll be worn out? Well, surely you'll be gentleman enough to carry my sign. (laughs) Let's see that contract. Here. It tells the rules you husbands have to abide by. And you'll find it all very legal. Go ahead, read it. Uh, Know this old man by these presents. Flowers? Candy? What is this? Oh, you read it wrong, George. It goes like this. Know this, all men. Buy these presents. Flowers, Flowers, candy, candy. I say, now I get it. 
It looks like the husband will get the short end of this contract. Oh, no, no. You'll find it completely fair and unbiased. Read on. Okay. This contract entered into between the wife, here and after referred to as the angel. Me. And the husband, here and after referred to as the beast. You. Oh, yes, very fair and unbiased. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Yes. Now, forget this nonsense and bring me my breakfast. I refer you to paragraph two of our contract, which reads, Before breakfast, each husband must give his wife a kiss. If it's a first-rate kiss, she brings him bacon, eggs, and coffee. I see. If it's a second-rate kiss, she brings him eggs and coffee, and so on. Okay. Here's a kiss. Well? Help yourself to a glass of water. <laughs> It wasn't that bad. Anyhow, your silly rules mean nothing to me because there'll never be a housewives association. Uh-huh, yes, there will. I'm sending a wire to Mr. William Green, head of the American Federation of Labor, to ask for our charter. He'll turn you down. What could possibly get you a charter from Mr. Green? Mrs. Green. <laughs> Believe me, it won't happen. What else is in that contract you expect husbands to sign? Well, there's the uh, retroactive clause. We demand that all husbands be less retro and more active. <laughs> nice piece of demanding. And then there's our open shop policy. No husband can pass an open shop without going in and buying his wife a gift. <laughs> this is a pretty one-sided contract. Oh, no, not at all. For example, we have a husband's old age benefit plan. Each week, the husband puts away $5, and when he reaches a certain age, the wife takes it. The wife takes it? Yes. We benefit by your old age. Old age benefit. And if we husbands don't like all these things, we've got no comeback. Oh, sure. If you think you're being mistreated, you can make a complaint to our jury of five impartial women. It would be a nice change from appearing on the radio. A change from radio? Yeah. The jury would laugh at you. <laughs> I thought so. And if we husbands don't like it, you'll strike. You bet we will. And if we housewives walk out, the Screen Actors Guild will walk out with us. Clark Gable, Robert Taylor, Jerome Power, Gregory Peck. Why, uh, why pick the Screen Actors Guild? Can you think of anybody nicer to walk out with? <laughs> this is murder. Say, the Green Act... The Green Actors... The Green Actors Guild, green... a new name, eh? The Screen Actors Guild... <laughs> nice <with> idea. <laughs> Nothing green about Taylor, Power, and Peck. I'll call my association a guild, too. Oh, a guild, yes. Let's see now. We'll uh, be the Housewife's uh, Assistance Guild. We'll call ourselves the HAGs. Well, at last, you're making sense. <laughs> Answer it, Judge. You look over our contract. Yeah, the H-A-G. <laughs> Good morning, Mrs. Burns. Here's your mail. Oh, thank you, Mr. Postman. By the way, I want to talk to your wife about my new project, the Housewives Assistance Guild. If she joins, your wife will be an H-A-G. I got news for you. If she doesn't join, she'll still be one. <laughs> will force husbands to be more romantic. You know, I'll bet that's your trouble. You're not affectionate enough. Tell me, did you kiss your wife at least once a day during 1946? I kissed her twice. You did? Yes. Once in March and once in August. Oh, Mr. 
postman. I see my dentist twice a year and kiss my wife twice a year. I get them both out of the way on the same day. <laughs> it's easier that way. Easier? Yes. I rush home from the dentist and kiss her before the Novocaine wears off. <laughs> Shame on you. If you feel that way about your wife, why don't you ever marry her? Oh, it was one of those things. <laughs> she kept saying to everybody, I love Herman. Herman is a ball of fire. I want to marry Herman. Oh, I see. But that cowardly Herman left town, so she married me. <laughs> joins my housewives guild you'll have to kiss her every day just remember what rudy valley used to say a little kiss each morning a little kiss each night rudy valley said that yeah are you going home and kiss your wife well if it's all right with the guild i'd rather kiss rudy valley <laughs> <laughs> goodbye mrs burns remember keep smiling Husbands don't seem to take my guilt seriously. But they will before I'm through. Oh, well, George, did you sign the contract? No, and I'm not going to. This thing says I have to wash the dishes, clean the house, fix the meals. I'm surprised it doesn't say I should brush your teeth. Read the small print. <laughs> that too, huh? Well, I'm not going to sign. According to this, the husband does everything and the wife nothing. Not true. I'll admit I've given some of the wife's jobs to the husband, but the wife still has plenty to do. When a baby arrives, the wife paces the floor of the hospital. Wait a minute. Just a minute. Then. <laughs> the wife paces the floor? Yes. And the husband? That's one of the jobs I gave him. <laughs> One of the grandest of all tunes. Meredith Wilson and Chiffon Music, Whispering.
are you ready to sign this contract with the Housewives Guild? No. If I sign that thing, I'll be nothing but a slave. You will not be a slave. Now, just sign your name right here, Uncle Tom. I, I mean, George. Gracie, there's a piece of paper in Washington called the Declaration of Independence. It guarantees all men the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, how do you like that? The minute those Republicans get in, they start making new laws. <laughs> The Declaration of Independence was drawn up by Jefferson, Franklin, Adams, and Henry. I don't care what firm of attorneys wrote it. I'll get Jerry Giesler to break it. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to sign this contract. Paragraph four says I have to make love like Gregory Peck. What's the matter with the way I make love? You'll find that in paragraphs five, six, six seven, seven, eight, nine, nine ten. ten. Okay, yeah. I'm out. I'm out. Never mind. Come in. Hi, Burns's. Hello, Bill. Uh, Bill. Take a look at this contract. It's the most unfair thing you've ever seen. One party does nothing and gets everything. The other party does everything and gets nothing. Here, read it. Why should I read it? It's the same contract you give me every year. <laughs> Funny, man, this is not your contract. No, this is George's contract with the Housewives Guild. Oh, well, what's it all about? Well, if he signs, he'll have to become as great a lover as Gregory Peck. It's in his contract. It may, not, it may be in his contract. It's not in his constitution. <laughs> Look, Joe Frisco. <laughs> I'm a member of the Green Actors Guild. Yeah. <laughs> if, husbands, if husbands signed this contract... They'll have to cook and wash dishes. Cook and wash? Well, that's terrible. Don't sign it, George. They'll even have to serve their wives toast and coffee in bed. Well, that's ridiculous. Tear that thing. What kind of coffee? The contract says Maxwell House. Well, sign it, you ungrateful little worm. <laughs> huh? Why, it's a privilege to serve that rich, delicious, mellow Maxwell House coffee. It's the result of careful selection and blending of choice Latin American coffees, radiant roasted to perfection. More people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Come in. Well, Gracie, I persuaded my husband to sign the Guild contract. Oh, wonderful. I'll call and congratulate him. He can't talk. He's still unconscious. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Morton. No. I, I was just talking about your contract, particularly about the kind of coffee you specify. Now, you I... keep your ideas to yourself, young man. Well, but I... We specify Maxwell House coffee, and you're not going to talk us out of it. I don't think we that I... We won't drink anything but Maxwell House. I... Why, it's the very best in coffee-drinking pleasure, yet it costs but a fraction of a penny more per cup than the cheapest coffee you can well, buy. But I was just That's thinking... why so many millions of Americans insist on Maxwell well, House. Mrs. Moore, These I... days, they know today's coffee buy is Maxwell House, the coffee that is always good to the last drop. Well, Blanche, Bill loves Maxwell House. Yeah, that's what I tried to tell you. Oh, me and my big yap. <laughs> Every time I open my mouth, I put my foot in it. Now, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> well, so long, girls. Good luck. All right, George, sign the contract. I'll do nothing of the kind. I'm going in the den and read the paper. Why don't you clap him on the head like I did Harry? <laughs> oh, I couldn't do that to George. His little head is too sweet, too precious, too hard. <laughs> but we've got to get his signature on that contract. Say... What if he thought he was signing his autograph? 
That's a good idea. Well, sure. All we have to do is find a George Burns fan. Well, that louses that up. <laughs> well, for your information, Blanche Morton, George Burns has fans from California to New York. Really? Yes, I'm in California and his mother's in New York. <laughs> and since I'm the closest, I'll go in and get his autograph. George? Yes? You're awfully funny on the radio. Everybody says so. Yes. <laughs> Much funnier than those comedians who use a dialect to get laughs, like H.V. Kaltenborn. Thanks. You get laughs because the jokes you tell are so clever. Tell me one now, dear. Okay. Um, oh, a fellow said to his friend, how about having lunch with me? Oh, that's and, marvelous. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wait a minute. That's not all of the joke. It's enough for my purpose. Huh? You're the funniest comedian in the world, George. May I have your autograph? You want my autograph? Yes. Right here on this dotted line. Oh, so that's what you're up to. Trying to get my signature on that silly contract. Well, it didn't work. Now get out of here. Yes, dear. George? What now? I'm sorry I tried to fool you. You're so smart and I'm such a dope. You said it. I, I always have to come to you when there's something I don't know. Would you answer a couple of questions for me? Sure. What was President Washington's first name? George. I love the way you snap those answers out. Now, what was the last name of that famous Scotch poet, Robert... Uh... Burns. Oh, of course. George and Burns. In case I forget them again, would you write them down on this dotted line? <laughs> out, out, out. Judge, do you think people should feed razor blades to elephants? Feed razor blades to elephants? Of course not. Good. I'm getting up a petition against it. Sign right here on the dotted line. <laughs> out. 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 George, George. What's wrong? The house is on fire. No. Yes. Quick, here's an application for insurance. Sign on the dotted line. <laughs> out. Out. <laughs> yes? Telegram for George Burns, sign here Okay There you are I wonder who the telegram's from, Gracie It's from me From you? Yeah, I'll read it uh, Dear George That paper you just signed was the Housewives Guild contract Happy New Year, Uncle Tom. <laughs> Signed, Gracie. So you hired this messenger boy to trick me, huh? Why, you... Ah, don't call me names or I'll have you thrown out of my house. Your house? This is my house. Oh, really, Judge? You should read a contract before you sign it. Oh, no. <laughs> this is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Cisco Kid, followed by Duffy's Tavern. 
Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.